I'll let you have the floor, okay? I'll let you go okay. ahead. And, okay. and I just interrupt when I have a question, okay? I, right. I don't have like standard interviewer questions. I'm real laid back. I'll just like interrupt you. Like we're just having a regular conversation. Okay. I'll just interrupt you. <laughs> so be warned, I'll interrupt you. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. I'll just go to it. And, you know, if there's something that catches you and you want to stop me, feel free. Okay. You know, because I, I just kind of flow with it. So, okay. Because so, I'm very I'm visual. And I like to see everything you're saying. And if, and if I'm missing a picture, I'm like, wait a minute, what? You know what I mean? Like, because yep. I'm not seeing it. So exactly. fill, fill me in. I want to go there with you. <laughs> okay. Feel free. Okay. So, okay. So I'll start with um, my near-death experience goes all the way back to 1982. Okay. And at that time, I was 32 years old. And I was, my husband and I were living in Alaska. Um, we had moved there, sold everything because we had both grown up and lived in upstate New York where our families were. But um, he, my husband had a friend from the Navy who had always lived in Alaska. And they became, you know, that when they became friends, they stayed in touch after he was out of the service. And so he had contacted my husband and he said, you know, I know you work in machine shop and do that work. And, you know, he said, I think that you and your family could do wonderful if you would come here to Alaska, you know? And so he said, you ought to really think about it. And we, so we made a trip up and um, visited and then we just bit the bullet and said, yep, let's do it. If we're ever gonna do a huge thing like this, young kids of, you know, like they were like five and, and eight at the time, um, this is the time to do it. They they're, haven't got long-term friends in school. You know. yes. so, so anyway, we sold our house, we sold everything. We packed up a pickup truck um, full of stuff and towed our little car behind the truck and all set off and went to Alaska. So we had been there about a year um, when I injured my back. Um, I'm working with a patient that was comatose. Um, and anyway, it's your physical years, therapist, right? Yep, as a physical therapist. And so anyway, five years prior to that, I had also had a ruptured disc in my back and had to have laminectomy surgery. So this time around went through all sorts of conservative treatment and finally decided that, you know, it looked like surgery was going to be needed again. So um, didn't know, the doctor wasn't sure, depending on the level of the disc that was involved, which they had some uncertainty about, uh, whether I'd have to have another laminectomy uh, at a different level or whether they'd have to actually do a spinal fusion. And I really didn't want the spinal fusion. Long-term rehab, probably couldn't do physical therapy work anymore. So I started contacting family back in New York and, and um, co-workers and church members there in Alaska and said, you know, I've got my date for my surgery. Could you please just pray on that day? You know, because I really want this to be another laminectomy. I recovered from that well, and that would preserve my career. And, you know, that, that was all that I had in mind. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the day of the surgery came after having contacted all these people and stuff. And um, 
my husband and the kids came and I was taken into surgery and they were taken to a waiting room and I was put under anesthesia, still not knowing which, which surgery they'd end up going for. Um, and so I'm out under anesthesia and then all of a sudden I'm not out. I, my consciousness literally had left my body and was up like in a corner of the operating room near the ceiling in one corner. And I was just inches away from ceiling tiles. And I started hearing all of this noise and ruckus and it drew my attention back. And it was just as they were flipping my body over from being face down to being face up. And I realized that that was my body, that I, I was not in my body. And so my immediate thought was, I must, I must be dead. And the surgeons swearing at the nurses and telling them to go and get um, blood transfusion. And it, it was just a, a total scene of chaos in there. And I didn't feel attached to my body at all. It was just like, yeah, that's my body, but I'm here. I'm, I'm me. And my, the only concern I had was, well, wait a minute, my husband and the kids are in a waiting room. Somehow I've got to let them know that, that I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. Where were you? What was your view from? My view was from up in the corner of the operating room, um, up near a ceiling, near the ceiling. And I was viewing down toward the operating room table and seeing the nurse, you know, rushing out and the doctor yelling at her and swearing and the, and the um, anesthesiologist, you know, saying that they'd lost my blood pressure and, you know, all of this stuff. So anyway, heard all of that, but my concern was for the waiting room. So as soon as I started having that concern, my consciousness literally, it drifted through the wall of the operating room and out into the hallway that I'd come down and then past these other operating rooms and through double doors, you know, right as though the doors didn't exist and out into a hallway, another hallway and thought that I was trying to get to this waiting room, though I didn't know where it was. And as I'm moving along, all of a sudden, a telepathic voice said to me, pay attention to this man. And I realized that there was a man that was rushing back the way I had come from. And as soon as they said that, the voice said that, I was able to see him up really close as though I had a microscope. And I could see his hair color and his eye color and the clothing he was wearing and what colors and all of that. And I also picked up on his thoughts and I heard his thoughts of, I need to get in there fast. I have to get in there. And then I picked up on another man's thoughts who was closer to the double doors of the operating room. And I heard his thoughts of, what does this guy think he's doing? He can't go in there. You know, and then as the two guys came together and the one who was rushing past me got to the double doors, there was a slight pause and then the doors electronically opened and he rushed on through. And then at that point, 
uh, although I wanted to keep going to the, the waiting room or try to find it, it was as though I wasn't in control of where my, my, my consciousness was going anymore. And it, it was as though I was being pulled upward and I was pulled up through the ceiling of, of the floor and then up to another floor and through that ceiling until I went out the entire roof of the hospital and was out outside and then began moving laterally instead of up. I started moving horizontally and was being pulled toward the city of Anchorage itself because the hospital was like on the outskirts of the city. And I was pulled over the city and the city sits on, on a, a bay or an inlet. And as soon as I was at the area where I should be going out over water, this dark um, cave-like tunnel opened up and I was pulled inside that. And once I was inside that, it was all dark except for very far in the distance, there was this tiny pinprick of light. And as I got into this, this tunnel area, my speed picked up tremendously. I was going so much faster than I had been just going over the city. Um, and as I was going extremely fast, this light was getting bigger and bigger as I was coming closer to it. And as I reached you know, at the end of this area and the brightness was so extreme, I burst into the brightness and the light. And then I felt this tremendous sense where I had been feeling kind of calm before and just disinterested except for wanting to get to my husband. Once I burst into this light, I felt this enormous peace and love and just unbelievable, indescribable emotions of, of acceptance and warmth and being home. Um, don't know how else to, to describe it. But I, I tried to, to figure out where I was because it was a location where the ground was all like brown and rocky, very arid, almost desert-like. And and that confused me. I couldn't figure out, well, where am I? If I'm, if I'm dead, shouldn't I be in heaven? And shouldn't I be, um, you know, someplace that's not brown and rocky? And, yeah. and so I, I looked down to where I thought my feet should be because I still felt like I was inside a body of some kind, but I couldn't see any feet. I couldn't see any body parts at all. And at that point, another telepathic voice spoke to me and it said, follow me. And the voice was off to my left. And so it drew my attention to the, the left. And there was a man who was off to the left, climbing up a slope up out of this area that I was down in. And as soon as he said, follow me, I was just a matter of a few feet behind him. And so I looked him all over his back and and he had like this mid-thigh length toga type garment, off-white type of a garment. And um, he had very black, dark hair that was pulled back and tied with a, a piece of leather um, and a, a, just a simple leather belt around his waist. And his legs, he had 
sandals, but they weren't like regular sandals. They had strips of leather that crisscrossed and tied up and up his legs and were tied off just below the knees. So I'm looking at all of this about him as I'm following, as we're going up. And I'm, my first thought was, well, this isn't Jesus. Um, and I expected if I was dead, that I was going to be seeing Jesus, be with Jesus. And yet I knew in my heart that whoever this was, it wasn't Jesus. And, um, and I felt like I should know him and, and that he cared about me, but I'd had no idea who is it, you know, because it isn't Jesus. So as he, as I followed him, we went up over the top of this inclined slope and came out into a totally different landscape. And this landscape was lush and green and filled with um, meadow of, of all different types of flowers that I, with colors that you can't even begin to describe and trees and, and the grass and the trees and the leaves and the flowers, everything had light from within it as though they were all alive and glowing from within. Um, it fascinated me and and he had gone on ahead my I began to call him my guide and so he by this time was quite a ways ahead and he again said follow me and I was immediately right up and behind him again and at this point he was literally on the bank of a river and the river itself the the first thing that popped into my mind is this is this is the the water of life. This is the living waters. And it sparkled and gleamed and seemed as alive as everything else. And then I realized that on the opposite bank of this river, um, I saw all of my deceased relatives. My dad, who had died when I was seven, and my brother, who was in a car accident and been killed. And different aunts and uncles and then four other people that were there that I had never I didn't really realize or remember who they were and suddenly it just it dawned on me that these people were those four were my four grandparents who had all died before I was born and yet they were all there together and they and I was feeling this enormous love from them and they were it was like a huge family reunion or homecoming it was like oh she's here she's here isn't it wonderful you know oh it's so great to see her you know and I could did you hear her. that or you felt that I felt it telepathically just like I did you know the other voices that that took place during my near-death experience they weren't people's mouths weren't moving it wasn't sound it was telepathic and so I wanted to, I immediately wanted to be there. And my guide again said to me, no, you can't go there now. We have to go somewhere else first. And so I, I really didn't have the choice. Where he went was where I had to go. <laughs> so he kept going down along the bank of the river and then around a bend in the river. And as, the, as we came around the bend in the river, there was a big, huge opening. Um, and in the midst of this, in the middle of this opening was an enormous building that was 
very the closest thing I could compare it to would be like a, a Greek or a Roman temple, but it was pearlescent white. It was just glowing with this white uh, coloration and big columns like Greek columns, Roman columns, and huge long line of stairs going up to it. Um, beautiful, beautiful looking. You remember your thoughts? Like, what are you thinking through all this? Or oh, are you? I was thinking, where am I? And, and this is so beautiful, but, but what is it? You know, and who are these other, because there were other spiritual beings that were there also. And they were um, together in small groups or going up the stairs or a couple coming down the stairs. And, uh, and I didn't feel that I knew who they were. And I Can didn't you tell me about those stairs. Yeah, they were, they were like marble stairs, very wide, you know, all, like the whole huge front part of this building and the whole width of it were these, these marble stairs. And then they went up and up for a very long ways up to like big double wooden doors okay. that were at the top. So my guide went up to those doors and, and said, follow me again. So I was up right behind him once again and the doors opened and we went, once we went inside, it was almost as though it was an entirely different building because the outside had looked totally Greek Roman temple type thing. Inside, once we were inside, it was an enormous library. And the library had tables all the way down through this huge, long, open room. And on either side, there were um, floors and floors and floors as high up as you could see, just crammed with books and with scrolls old scrolls and and the spiritual beings that were at the tables and and standing at the end of the tables they were looking at at books or at scrolls and at that point the guide said to me or telepathically indicated this is where the book of life is stored and again that was a biblical reminder to me because i knew i had heard that term before but really didn't really know anything in particular about it. But he said, but we're not staying here, we're going to a different room. And so we went the whole length of this whole open area and to the very back and then entered another small, smaller high um, hallway. And then as we went just a short way down that hallway, there was a door and went into a much smaller room. And in that smaller room, there were already um, a whole group of spiritual beings that were all around like an oval conference table type thing, sitting, waiting, essentially waiting for us to come in. And once we came in, I, again, I felt like I should know who the, these, uh, these people are. I, they, I know they love me. I know they care about me. I felt this love and acceptance the whole time I was there. And at that point, the guide said, we're going to review your life now. We're going to look at everything that's happened up to now. And the center of this oval conference table kind of became 
um, clear, but then it was as though a hologram appeared in it, in the center of it. And in this hologram were all of the events that had taken place in my life. And instead of just watching it like, like you'd watch a movie or a, a film strip, I became myself again in all of those circumstances. I relived them instantaneously. And I also got to experience being whoever the person was that I was interacting with in the scene as it was taking place. So I got to feel how I felt at the time, but also to feel how that other person felt because of something I said or whatever I had done. Um, These a mix of good experiences, bad experiences, um, insight into you or? It was good and bad experiences. And in the bad experiences, I would feel like, oh, I, I could have done a lot better. If only I'd known that that's what they were feeling when I was saying this or, or doing that. Um, I had no idea. And yet I got to see how if I hurt them, how they took that away and then how they acted with somebody else they interacted with afterwards because of the hurt that they carried from the, the meanness that I had exhibited or, you know, but the opposite with the good things also, you know, I would, I would take something that I had really never given a second thought to, but it really meant a lot to that other person. And it changed how they felt about themselves, how they acted afterward, um, and how they treated other people afterward. And that seemed to be the main lesson that I was supposed to be absorbing was your your actions and how you feel toward other people mean a lot more than you can realize. And you need to keep that in mind. It's part of how you grow and it's part of how your spirit grows. And so where I was feeling terrible and kind of beating myself up with the, with the things I was wished I had done differently, they were feeling as though, oh, it's okay. You know, you, you have to be able to understand both sides of things in order to be able to grow yourself. And that's really all it's about. It's not, you know, a huge thing, um, but it's part of what you need to know. And then they said, you know, you can stay if you want, or you can return back to your life. But if you, if you have to make this choice, we want to show you things that will happen in your life if you do decide you're going to go back to it. Um, and just so that you know, some of these things definitely will happen, but some of them may or may not happen because everybody has free will and everyone you interact with in your life, if you return to it, will have their own ability to make a free will choice and they may not choose what what we're projecting here and so that will change the whole situation was this so still a telepathic by like one voice that when this instruction was given this decision um yes essentially it was when it came to the the instructional parts that generally always came from my guide that i'd been following all along 
and and it was to basically to clarify what I was, you know, being shown and and how I need needed to weigh things about deciding whether to stay or go. Was everything um, telepathic from the guide? It was yes. always telepathic. Okay. Yep, it was always telepathic. Okay. So, um, so anyway, then I was shown these future things that may happen or some that definitely would happen. And then I know that there's something else that took place, but for whatever reason, it's been taken from my memory and I don't remember that portion of it. And the next thing that I was actually consciously aware of, we, my guide and I were in a totally different room and it was just an even smaller room and it was just him and I there. And he was saying to me, um, I want to show you what's happening in the hospital waiting room. And when he, when he said, when he communicated that to me, it was as though I could see, as though there were no ceiling at, at all, as though I could see directly from above into the room where my husband and the kids and were there in this little waiting room. And what I was being shown was my husband was up by the doorway to the waiting room and the doctor who had operated on me was standing there in his uh, surgical garb um, and, you know, hair thing, head thing. And he was talking to my husband and the two kids were like behind him and over by this little couch. And then my guide said, and I also want you to see this. And it was as though I could look off to the side. And he said, what I'm showing you is the prayers of all the people that you asked to pray for you about this operation. And as I looked off and I saw that, each of the prayers was represented as if it was like a, a note on a musical score. And so there'd be like a half note and a whole note, a quarter note. And each one of them was linking to each other and coming up and up higher and higher. And he said, every prayer has its own unique vibration. And each of these prayers is reaching up. And as it got close to where we were, then he showed me back in the waiting room again. And he showed me that my daughter was praying that I hadn't died because she was scared and thought that if the doctor was there and, and it had been such a long time that maybe he was there to say that I had died. And so she prayed that I wouldn't die. And that was the last musical note. And when that happened, it was as though um, the guide allowed me to feel all of my human emotions again. And so I was feeling how, how much I wanted to be there for my kids growing up. And that even though it, there was so much love and so much there that I was just imbued with, that I still wanted them not to have to go grow up without a parent like I did. Um, so, you know, I, that kind of made my decision for me. I needed to go back to my life in spite of what I'd been shown about 
the future and stuff. Um, so he said to me at that point, he said, okay, you can return to your life. He said there, you will be able to remember enough about this experience that you'll know for certain that it, it how real it is. Um, but you won't remember everything that took place and you won't remember anything about your future that we showed you. Um, because if you remembered all these future things, you'd no longer have your free will because you would act according to what you think you were supposed to do as opposed to sincerely acting from your own heart and from your own free will. And that's the last thing I remember uh, him saying, other than saying, I would have a proof. I'd have a proof that all of this had happened. And then the next thing I was aware of, I was waking up in the uh, recovery room and my husband and the kids were both there. And um, immediately I was still filled with all the enormous love and peace and joy. And I, I thought, well, absolutely nothing like this have I ever felt before. I know that I know that this really happened. And so I thought there, there, that's my proof. Um, and then um, I was in the hospital for 12 days and in ICU and then, you know, later on to a floor. And at some point in, in that, that whole situation, fairly soon after, um, I, I had a, a doctor come in to visit me as a follow-up. And as soon as he walked through the doorway, I realized that it was the man that I had been told to pay attention to in the hospital hallway. And uh, so I realized then that he had to have been rushing that other way because he was coming to take care of me. Um, so anyway, after I got discharged and I was home and uh, they had had to cut me open from stem to stern from my breastbone to the pubic bone and open up and take out intestine and do everything to try to find where, where my artery had been cut and to, to try to save me. And uh, the doctor had had to take vein out of one of my legs to make a patch onto the artery. And because of this, I was from top to bottom, I had staples to staple oh me together. And, um, after I'd been home for a while, I had to go back to this surgeon um, to have him remove those staples. And I made up my mind that I was going to ask him. Uh, he had been so kind and so nice to me, unlike the doctor who originally operated on me, who every time he came into the room, he couldn't look me in the eye. It was like he was looking off somewhere else and he didn't want to be there. And you know, he, he had cut that artery by mistake and he, I think he was afraid for his medical license or something. But the other doctor who had been called in was always very kind. And so I thought, well, I'm going to tell him what I saw when I left my body and um, ask him about it, you know, because I, 
I believe that this is true, but my husband's having a hard time grasping all that I've told him about all this. So, and he was there with me when I went to get those staples out. So I said to the doctor, this is what I saw, you know, and I said, you were wearing, you know, this color um, jacket and this is, you know, you were rushing down and I'm in your thoughts. I heard you thinking this and is that what happened that day? And he said, how could you know that? Um, he said, I was in my office and I was seeing patients and I got called stat to the OR for um, a bleed and to try to save a person, you know, who had bled out. And um, he said, yeah, I had my clothes that, on that I had worn in the office seeing patients. And that's why I had that on. Um, and to me, that meant a lot because um, I, if I had made something up, I guess, I probably would have imagined that somebody who was on call in the hospital would have been called in, you know, to, to try to help if somebody needed help. Um, I wouldn't have thought of somebody coming from their office and in street clothes. So, so that really kind of was a proof to me similar to like my guide had said, you will, you'll have proof. So, so that was, that was what happened. And, um, and then 30 some years later, um, I was encouraged to try to find this surgeon and, um, you know, thank him and, and ask him, did he remember me sharing about my near death experience? So um, I looked up, I remembered his name and I looked him up and he was still practicing in Alaska. We had moved back to New York um, and then on to like now we're retired in North Carolina. And um, I, I found him and so I emailed and you know, said who I was and did he remember and, and he did. He remembered that I had shared about my near death experience. Um, and he said he'd had other patients since then over the years that had also shared experiences um but none quite like mine he said um and then he also went on to tell me that he had become like the head of the surgical um, department and had trained other doctors to do the technique that he used that managed to save my life so they'd been able to save other people so that was pretty neat so after you tried to tell your husband about this, did you talk about it to other people? Did you just put it away? What did you make of it or do with it? Um, I did try to talk to other people. Um, and particularly when it, uh, when it came to church, you know, because I tried to talk to people within church. And after, it, within six months after this happened, we had, had to sell our house in Alaska and move back to New York again. And so we're in a totally different church than we had been before, but I wanted to try to share it with people. And, and I found that uh, I didn't get a very good response at all. I think people just, uh, they, they just couldn't wrap their head around it, I guess. And so they just kind of shut me off. And because they did, um, I just, you know, I learned to try to research things on my own, but not really to talk to people about it. 
much at all because it wasn't a very good response. And uh, that's how it stayed until, you know, I many, many years later when we retired and we happened to retire to a location that's very close to the um, international uh, location for ions. Uh-huh. Uh, we not don't live that far from it. We're in a smaller town, but not far at all from Durham, which is where they're located. So okay. I got to go to, so I got to go to um, some meetings there, and by going to the meetings and hearing other people and meeting other people who had had uh, experiences like mine, um, that's when I really began to get the courage to to speak up and share and tell my own story. That's how you know Yvonne. Yeah. (laughs) I spoke there in, I think it was 2019, 18, November of 18, probably. Ah, hmm. Yeah, I was here by that time. I I don't, you know, I didn't always make all of the meetings, and I don't honestly remember you coming and speaking to one of the meetings there but I've, I've seen lots of other folks that have and you know yeah it may not be november i think it's a fall of 18 because i think it's just 419 so huh yeah. but i definitely was here at that time we moved down here in um 2009 okay so and it was within a couple years after i moved down here that i began to found the meetings and began to go to some of them. I've heard uh, several indie ears talk about what you did about like being in a big library in the book of life and things like that. What do you make of that? Have you learned more about that and what that means? Um, yeah, I've done a lot of my own research and, um, and so I think there's also a similarity to what some people call the Akashic records. Um, and I think it's similar to that. Um, and it's basically a, a repository of people's, all people's lives. And that when they um, are there, that they actually get to study, you know, literally almost like pull out a, a book that unlike our books with pages that we have here, it really is more like that holographic experience that I had, that you start to look at a book, but then it, it becomes alive and you're able to actually revisit all of these life events. It makes and me think how, I'm sorry, it makes me think how so many of us into ears come back and eventually, maybe not right away, are suddenly compelled to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, I think um, yeah, it, it I, almost I, makes I, me think that, and, you know, through my NDEs, things that happened made me wonder later when I'm thinking about it all. It makes me think that everything in our lives is recorded somehow in heaven. Oh, yeah. As we're living. Yeah. Because during my drowning, a memory of mine was used while well, I was still under the water before I come up um to help me realize that i was dead it was just a simple memory of me as this little kid looking in a fish bowl and there was this treasure chest at the bottom and i'm wondering you know i wonder why the fish aren't afraid of that 
treasure chest i'd ask my mom you know and somehow i was shown or told or understood the fish knew something i didn't that i was dead not the fish in the fishbowl you know the fish in the pond where i was because they were bumping into me and when they were bumping into me i thought well, why are they afraid of me because when i was a little girl you know fishing with dad i try to us kids to try to catch fish with their bare hands and they were afraid of us but here i am at the bottom of the pond and they're just bumping into me and i'm just pushing off the side like driftwood and they're going right in front of me and i'm looking at their fins and their mouths and their tail why aren't they afraid of me and how it was explained to me wasn't a telepathic voice it was a scene opened up of me a memory of me looking in that fishbowl before and so you know as i got a lot older i think back about that and i'm like and it hit me a memory was used to teach me so where did they get my memories? What happens to our memories? Mm -hmm. And with the twins, when I was 25 and I had that NDE, um, I was shown a scene that wasn't even my life or anybody I knew, but this little scene of this boy in this store throwing a fit. And that was God's way of teaching me, I believe, that look how you're acting. You're acting like that. You're acting like a spoiled child throwing a fit in the store. The answer is no. You know, because I wanted to go back and raise my kids. You know, and the answer was no. Yeah. And so, you know, as I got a lot older and I look back after the shock factor wears off of, oh my God, what happened? Why am I seeing these memories? And, you know, was it in whatever? And so I, it just, when you say that in that room, I've heard several other indie ears talk about that. And I just come to the conclusion because I don't know any better. I'm just guessing like everybody else that it seems like everything like what we're doing right now is stored somewhere in heaven mm -hmm. and does it go in those books in that room that you saw you know there's just questions that i we won't know till we're there for sure you know but yeah. it just it plays with my imagination and my um trying to understand how yeah. this works so we can't help it i mean we just got a glimpse yeah we don't have the whole picture we don't have all the answers we just have our little glitch and everybody else has their little clip you know this little clip and then you just try to listen to them all and then when you see these similarities i was just like you just kind of latch on to them it's like okay i'm seeing a picture here yeah yeah i found that with with lots of other people's mdes you know that i've of course through going to the meetings and 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 also reading um, one of the things I wanted to do after it happened to me was learn about anybody else who might have had anything like this. And so I, I did begin to read, read books and things. And I don't know about you, but with me, when I would read certain things about someone's experience, it would just resonate. And I'd say, yes, that, that resonates with me. That's what I think that's similar, that's so similar to what, what I felt and what I experienced. And then other times it would be very, very different than mine. Right. And yet, and I didn't have that same feeling of resonating with it, but still I realized that it was, it was their, um, their experience that was needed for them. Because one of the things I've come to believe, and it just, it's, it's just me, I guess, is that I think everybody who has a near-death experience and remembers it, they'll come to realize 
how much it was tailored exactly to what they needed uh -huh. um, once they actually were alive yeah. again and living again what it had within it was so important and and educational for them and for how they were going to go forward with their life and and that's that makes perfect sense to me because i i think god is so big god can't be contained in any one person's box and fit all of their individual parameters exactly god is way bigger than that and right. god is all of what every different person's unique near-death experience um, is and so much more yeah and for the NDEs to be tailored just for us, they have to know us completely. So yes. there again, I'm thinking, so they do have to know every thought, every memory, every experience to be able to play this back to us in a way that we get it for when we come back, how we interpret it and how we use it. Because if I would have had a completely different experience, my life would have been completely different. Mm -hmm as yep. i suppose anyone's you know if i was just shown these beautiful meadows and you know flew on the butterfly wing you know and mm -hmm. i've probably been suicidal during yeah. hard times in my life yeah. and so i think god knows who don't give that to her yeah <laughs> she'll be taking yeah. something coming back here don't don't show her that you know and i feel the same way with some of the experiences like um, a lot of near-death experiencers have very cosmic experiences of of universes and 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 space and planetary um trips through all of that you know that type of thing and i think to myself if that's what i had experienced it wouldn't have impacted me in the same way at all but for that particular person it was exactly what they needed to to realize how big and awesome god actually is our creator actually is that was what they needed to be impacted with but my my experience was very much unique to me mm -hmm. for what i needed to be impacted with mm -hmm. yeah so, it's amazing it's it a is. gift that keeps giving yeah it seems the oh. more i mean we can push it away and say that's ridiculous that couldn't have happened you know, it seems like as we get older, we open it back up and look at it. And, and it, honestly, I feel like you have to be over 55 to get it. I do. I'm prejudiced because yeah. I just wasn't getting it until I got in my 50s. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't having those aha moments and seeing the magnitude, the glory, the appreciation, all those things. And I just feel I had to be a certain age. Yeah. in my time in my life before I could, you know, there's age, a season for everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these people are in their 20s and 30s or, that are trying to pick, pick apart their NDE. And I'm thinking, keep trying because you're really not, you know, <laughs> I could be yeah. prejudiced, but you're <laughs> really not going to get it until you get older. Yeah, and I, 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 I think it takes that mind set. And I, like I said, I was retired before I really was ever at a point where I felt like I could speak to people and, and could share my experience. And because I'd been in the medical field and scientific medical field, um, I, I was one of these people that was really trying to pick things apart. And, 
And that may be the reason why I got to, to see the, the doctor who saved me before he came in and be able to ask him, yeah, was that what you were wearing that day and stuff? Because I'm one of those analytical mind people that will pick things apart and try to get every single solitary. Right. Yeah. And um, so I, I was, up- it was 30 years for me too, before I asked my doctor, but see, I saw my doctor every year, yearly appointments, and sometimes even sooner than that. And so all those years, I kept that same doctor from my 25 year old NDE. And it was 30 years before and I ha- took my husband with me. And I said, I've always wanted to ask him, I've been too scared. I'm chickened out every time and I'm going to do it this time. And I took him with me and we done with examination, everything I said, I need to talk to you about something. He said, mm-hmm. okay. And the nurse was staying in there. And I briefly told him, I said, do you remember when I lost the twins with ectopic pregnancy? Yeah. And I said, do you remember that I refused to go home and you said there was nothing wrong and that you said I could just stay overnight, you know, if it made me feel better. Was, oh, yeah. Yeah. He remembered everything just like your doctor did, you know, yeah. 30 years, you know, they do. And, um, and so I went through the ND briefly and I said, that's why I didn't, that's why I refused to go home. Cause I just died and was in heaven. And he said, I believe you. He says, all of my years of practicing medicine, I have come to believe exactly what you're talking about. And the nurse said, oh, he does too. He does too. And so that I felt so good. <laughs> it was such a, yeah. a burden off of me. I was so like light on my feet. I was so excited. I was hugging my husband. I left and cry. And it's like, I finally did it. It was such a big thing to yeah. finally to speak to my doctor about that. Yeah. Well, in in my uh, church that I attend here now in North Carolina, very, very different attitudes than what I had run into before. And um, I I signed up for a a four year course that is called um, Education for Ministry. And it's meant for lay people, but it's for lay people to try to get a, a much bigger understanding of their faith and what they can what they may see as their own personal ministry and during that course i was in in it with a doctor who was a retired vascular surgeon and part of what we did in the course was share our own personal experiences and so i shared um, even in that environment about my near-death experience and that retired surgeon is the one who urged me to try to get a hold of that doctor all those years later because he he said i i have no doubt he will remember you he said what happened to you doesn't happen every day and he said if he he was the one who was able to somehow bring you back you know he said believe me you won't he won't forget it i've remembered you know patients that i've had where it's been that drastic a situation so he's the one who encouraged me And the other parts about that course that were wonderful were we met once a week. um, And over the four years, we studied the Old Testament, um, the New Testament, uh, early Christianity, the church, and then uh, world philosophies and world religions and beliefs. So it was really in-depth. And um, I got to learn an awful lot about um about everything re- regarding um Judaism and 
uh, early Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, how the books were decided that were included in the New Testament, which ones weren't, um, how the church evolved, you know, from being just the followers of Jesus up through being the Roman religion the, of choice for, the, for Rome, um, and all the way through to the present and all about other, other faiths and things. And that, that was very, very interesting. And like I said, it, it took commitment and study because it was once a week for four years and uh, learned an awful lot through that. Are you a minister now? Did that give you a nope. certificate or no? No, no, it was entirely for lay people, you know, okay. for just regular parishioners um, to, who wanted to learn in depth more about, about their own faith. And some of the members of the group actually were kind of agnostic even. Um, it was, it's interesting. It's, I, I believe they still offer it. It's education for ministry and it's uh, put on by Sawani um, School of the South, I think it is. Gosh, I don't remember now all the details, but a lot of very, um, very uh, deep books that were studied in, in conjunction, not just, you know, the Bible, but lots of other textbooks and things. My husband and I was working on a short job in New Jersey a few years ago, and I woke up early one morning before work, and I was just told to talk about my NDE at work that day. And I'm like, no way am I going to talk to these workers, you know, about mm -hmm. my NDE. They don't want to hear it. No. And I was like, I'm going to have to because this was just so clear. And so that day I did, I brought it up in this little group. And a couple of guys just kind of walked away and rolled their eyes. But one guy yeah. stayed and he started talking. He says, you know, I always wondered what that was that happened to me. And he started talking about something. He didn't know the word near death experience. Yeah. But he, he was so interested and and yeah. and just started telling his story. And I'm like, what do you know? You know, That's and then and then my husband, a couple of years after that, my husband, and I was working on a job, big thunderstorm come and we all ran through the mud to get in the trailer and all huddled together, waiting for the storm to go. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, entertain myself sitting here with all these men, it's probably 10 mm -hmm. of us in this little tool trailer. And something just come over me, talk about your ND, talk about your death. Oh, no, they're going to run out in the rain, get away from me. And so I started talking and half of them turned their back and started having their own conversations about when they were in jail and a fight they were in, you know, that kind of stuff. But one great big burly guy just sat there listening and he had more of a what you would call an after death communication situation. Then it, you know, type and then then like an indie kind of mixed in it, and he didn't know what to make of it, and he still wasn't sure after talking to me. He said, "But you got me thinking. Yeah. You got me thinking." And it it's just like, yeah, it's a gift that keeps on giving, but it's also a gift to share. And I yeah. have found the more we share, something happens. There's always somebody around that needed to hear it. I mean, yeah, we're going to get doors closed in our face. We're going to lose, you know. Some people are going to think we're crazy. Like as people, when you yep. first start talking at church, they're going to think, oh, this is the crazy lady. You know, somebody's mm -hmm. trying to get attention. Somebody's, and and you take that risk. And I wouldn't take that risk for a couple of decades. I wouldn't do it because I had a career and I wasn't going to look like that crazy person. 
Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really one to stand around and talk either. I wasn't like a stand around gossip kind of person, you know, yeah. like a lot of people do. I just wasn't, I was like, just, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I go home, take care of my family. And mm-hmm. then um, I didn't stand around and tell stories. And, and then, so yeah, it's like in my mid fifties that I just started opening up and coming and to light. I know what you mean. And I had thought, well, like you were talking about writing a book and stuff. And I, I thought seriously about that. And then uh, for whatever reason, it just wasn't gelling for me in that way. And that was when I began to, to get asked about speaking, you know, and sharing my experience in, in interviews like we're doing today. And when I started doing that a few years ago, um, right from the beginning, um, someone asked, do you want to leave your email address in case somebody wants to email you? And I thought, well, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. And so uh, that's what I've kind of routinely done. And what I've found is that what has grown from that, from the individuals who reached out to me and that I was able to help one-on-one, it has they have been able to spread out to do a number of other things. Like one, one young man, who reached out to me, um, he just had a strong, compelling feeling that he wanted to bring near-death experiences into the church environment and try to, to help people within the church get a handle on how it, how it could fit with what they already believed as opposed to being something that was not appropriate for what they believed and so he literally started going to churches and he had this one church in particular that was willing to have like a zoom conference type of thing and he asked me if I would speak and if I would share my experience and then he would follow up with the individuals within the church itself and so we did that and he's stayed in touch with me ever since and some of the members, like you said, turned their back and no, this, this was not right for them. But others actually shared their own experiences or experiences of loved ones that they had heard. And so it opened their minds in ways that hadn't been opened before. And he's continued to do that and continued to touch bases with me and, and ask me for, for thoughts and stuff too. So I, you never know. It, it's just like the ripple effect we were shown in our yeah. life reviews, where you don't know who is supposed to hear it and what they're supposed to do or will choose to do afterward. And so it, it's just important. And to me, for whatever reason, telling my story is my vehicle as opposed to writing a book, I think. But it's different for everybody. I just got something says my bandwidth is off. My internet's messing up. Are you doing okay over there? Yeah. Periodically, periodically you have frozen just briefly, but that's it. Okay. I'm doing fine. You were freezing just a little bit ago too. It might be my internet. So, okay. Well, it's been great. 
I would go visit my mom and sister in a nursing home now. I got a call right before we started this from the nursing home. My mom's upset and stuff. So, I, okay, I'll go here after a bit and see you. So, luckily, we're, they started visits again where, you know, you weren't allowed to for a while. Oh, I know. And then they started them up, and we got a four-hour visit one day. It's only supposed to be, I think, 30 minutes, and we used four hours. And then right after that, they got COVID outbreak again. And so they stopped visits and they called today. I says, well, you guys don't have visits right now. He's like, oh, we just started back up. So I'm off to the nursing home. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad we finally were able to get this together. I hope yes. that worked out well for you too. Yes, it was easy as pie today. I, uh, I was like, I'm determined yeah. I'm going to get this. I'm going to beat my head against the wall and but I'm going to get it. And so finally I got it. Now the next step is learning how to edit. <laughs> so that's the next okay. beating my head against the wall thing. <laughs> but I want to do this do so it. bad. I just don't know how, but I'm going to learn. <laughs> uh, I just turned 60. So, you know, these things don't come easy for yeah, our age group. I'm 71. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, some people, I guess, you know, have had um, background from their jobs in this I don't know, and computers, but it's always been hard for me. I have trouble with remote control. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, there are the, sometimes the electronic um, side effects of after people have had near-death experiences, too. And I gave I, up wearing a watch years ago. I didn't know why then, but I just uh, something about me, I can't wear them. They just stop. I can't yeah. keep the battery going. The battery just yeah. drains, so heck with it. And then I started hearing this NDE stuff like that makes sense. Yeah, because and I've noticed the funniest, thing, the funniest thing, my dad who died when I was seven, that I you know, mentioned to you during my experience, um, he, I had after I had my near death experience and learned about elect the electronic side effects and stuff like that, it popped back a memory of him. And I remember my mother saying that my dad never could wear a watch that watches always stopped on him. Huh. And I have, I have letters of his from World War II when he was in World War II. And in his letters, he talks about um, surviving, you know, uh, an attack on a ship that he was on. And that his, the, the wording in the letter to my mother, he said, my guide is still with me. Don't worry oh. about it. So I know he was a very, a very spiritual person and i suspect he he literally had a near-death experience at some point in his life i hope someday scientists can figure that out exactly the the whole watch thing and messing with electronics thing i know you know and into ears i hope they can figure that out it's like but all i know is is that i can be so tired or whatever and uh, get taught about NDEs or watch something about NDE or I just get so excited like this ball of energy you're just gonna go burst and like I'll be full of energy the rest of the day today yeah <laughs> talking about NDE it's just like who needs caffeine you know <laughs> because like you start talking about your NDE and you, you'll come alive <laughs> I don't know what yeah. it is but uh, I guess we got to talk like this I really yeah am. yeah um, okay that's so I'll talk to you later. I'll catch you up on Facebook. Yeah. Hey, when you when you broadcast this, if you want to stick my email address in there for people, if they should want to, you know, you want to go ahead and say it and then they'll have it. Sure. Um, it's my email is B L A N 
C-E-T-H at live, L-I-V-E dot com. There you go. Thanks. Okay. I'll talk to you later, Karen. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye, sweetie. <laughs>